Well, for us at, at that point in time, we didn't have paying customers, but we had an MVP that had been user tested and we had a strong market need. Welcome back to the Founders Couch. This is a talk show about the most inspiring student founders and their intrepid journeys of starting their own thing. I'm your host, Catherine Jang. I recently graduated from Stanford this year, where I was a student founder. My goal with this show is to shed a light on the student founder journey, inspire some of you to start your own ventures, as it's never too early, and highlight some of the most promising startups in the country. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to Founders Couch wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the show, we have Robbie Felton. Robbie is a recent Brown student on a leave of absence who studied public health. Hailing from Ann Arbor, Michigan, Robbie was a high school football star who got recruited to Brown. His junior year, he decided to take a break from football and pursue entrepreneurship. Robbie is the co-founder and CEO of Intis Care, which is empowering long-term care providers through data to deliver more effective care to older adults. So far, they've built partnerships with health plans and organizations in multiple states working with thousands of patients. They recently raised 500K in seed funding from Equal Opportunity Ventures and were winners of both Mass Challenge and the Brown Venture Prize. Some topics we discussed today on the show are, how did Robbie go from football star to startup entrepreneur? And how did he go about raising money in accordance with his product timeline? Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to my co-founder, Mehul Kulkarni, for his kind intro. Now onto the show. Let's get Robbie on the couch. Hey, Robbie, what's up? Hey, how are you? Good. What about yourself? I'm doing fine. Really excited to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on the show today. Um, Robbie, why don't you get started off by just telling us a little bit about where you're from and where'd you grow up? Yeah, I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I grew up not too far from the University of Michigan. Um, Yeah, enjoyed growing up there, but was excited to kind of see more of the country. Uh, Was ready to move to the East Coast for school. now I'm getting a taste of New England. Mm-hmm. And the cold weather, I bet. <laughs> yeah, well, I was used to the cold weather. Michigan's plenty, plenty cold for me. Right, very cool. Um, so, Robbie, I've given listeners a bit of a rundown of what Intis Care does and, and what you guys are all about. But it, how would you describe what Intis Care does in your own words? In my own words, at Intis Care, we leverage data from long-term care providers and health plans Uh so that they can provide more effective care to older adults. Awesome. And obviously, you know, we have, I guess, a main topic that I wanted to discuss with you today, just given your background and your experience in terms of like MVP development and and VC Mm -hmm. rate of fundraising and the timeline of those two meshing together. But I kind of want to really quickly talk about your background because, you know, obviously in our last conversation, you said that you played football for two years, I believe at Brown, right? And Mayhul, my co-founder, said you're basically like a, a hometown football star. So I'm just curious to know how you got in, you know, from football to startup land. Yeah, it was, it was a, an interesting journey. So um, in terms of when I was looking at colleges, um, I was deciding, do I want to play sport in, uh, sport in college? Do I just want to focus on school? Uh, which is a really hard choice. So I actually landed on uh, the decision of running track at West Point. Um, And that was, that's what I was going to do. Decided that pretty early into my, my senior year of high school. And uh, as, as it got closer and closer to me really signing to go, my mother was like, no, you're not doing it. (laughs) Uh, 
and she she was very worried about about that decision so i was like oh shoot well now where am i gonna where am i gonna go to school um because i hadn't really put as much thought into it as i should at that point so um just thinking let me try ivy league um a lot of the the coaches were were interested in having me come play football there so i was like could be a good fit and brown ended up being the the right choice for me and I got to school, got really interested in in, a, in healthcare because uh, I'd kind of grown up around it. My mother ran uh, runs a geriatric healthcare facility. She was a geriatric social worker when I was growing up, and that was just something I was around. But it wasn't something I was uh, necessarily interested in until I I got to learn. Excuse me, got to learn more about healthcare as a whole in college, and I realized this is my passion. Like working with um, older adults elderly um, patients is, is what I'm really interested in. So I was like, maybe I want to become a, a, a gerontologist or a geriatrician, um, go to med school. And then I started seeing inefficiencies and things that could be improved with technology uh, and heard more about kind of what entrepreneurship was and realized that, okay, right now I can create a solution that solves all these problems that I see and that I can have an impact on, on people, on real lives now. So I decided to get some people together who were driven, um, not necessarily interested in, the, in, in this problem that I, I wanted to solve, um, but uh, got them to join the team. And as we started working, working through the solution um, and really figuring out how to, how to build a company, I realized that football um, had to take a back seat um, and eventually just didn't have time to continue playing. So that's mm. how I got from football to doing <laughs> intense care. Yeah. Wow. What a, a long and incredible journey. I'm curious, like that day of realizing, okay, I'm going to really pursue intense care and drop football. Like what was going through your mind? Like you'd been playing football for so long, right? So I can't imagine that's easy. It was definitely a, a, a difficult uh, decision because when you do something for so long, obviously it becomes at least part of your, your identity. Um, but I realized if this is something I, I really want to commit to, uh, I, I'm going to have to sacrifice something. And that thing ended up being football. Uh, and obviously it's ended up being the right choice, but at the time it was just, it was something very difficult for me to do to just give up a piece of me. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Wow. So Robbie, let's kind of shift gears a bit to talking about, um, I guess our main topic or discussion today, which is a, a startup founder is building a product and they don't know when's the best time to, I guess, fundraise. This is a question that I've gotten from some listeners. So I guess I'm just curious, like maybe we can like walk through your journey of going from, you know, idea. I think that it was that mass challenge when you st first got some money and then kind of to where you are today, having raised a seed round. Can you maybe like walk us through like that first mass challenge? Like what did you guys have at that, at that point in time? Right. At the point of winning mass challenge, we had some really good prototypes, not, a, not an actual product built out. We had some partnerships lined up, some companies in our uh, prospective sales funnel, but no, no guarantees at that point. But the strongest thing we had was a very compelling story um, and, and a very passionate team um, that was willing to do whatever it took to, to kind of succeed in, in our mission. Um, and I think that's what really kind of was brought to light during mass challenge, the competition portion. 
um, people saw that we were really, we weren't just doing this for fun. We weren't just kids in it for uh, like the thrill. We were just like, actually, this is what we were committing to doing. And everyone really realized that. Um, it, that, that funding came at the, the perfect time. It was um, $50,000 and we needed that to properly um, incorporate um, to actually have our product built, to hire a team uh, um, of people so we could actually start to scale a business. Um, like at that point, we couldn't even go to sales meetings because we'd have to fly around the country and it was just like something we couldn't afford. Um, but yeah, that $50,000 was really just like the, the thing that one, uh, made it so we could actually operate. Um, two, it gave us that internal validation, like this is something that we should be doing. And three, it was that springboard into us kind of making that jump to doing this full time. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. When, when was Mass Challenge again? This was, was it late last year? What October, month? October of 2019. October 2019, gotcha. And before that time, you, you said you had some prototypes, some, I guess, sales, pro, like promises in a sense, kind of in the funnel. Um, what was your intention of what you were going to do with the money in terms of Mass Challenge? Like, did you you know, think that you would use it towards engineering? Like what were your even hopes from that competition? At that point, we had a, a well, well-defined use of funds, um, even though we, we went in there fully, fully expecting not to, to win the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, first and foremost, we had to build the product. Um, and that's really what the entire amount of funding went to is just software engineering, software engineering and data encryption, security, um, design, and that's, yeah, that, that's all we, we really needed at that point. And you mentioned things like data encryption and, and security and stuff like that. And I can imagine, I was looking into y'all's product a bit more and it's obviously something that would require that amount because you're working with health organizations essentially, right? How did you guys navigate those challenges? Because obviously as students, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to break into that industry. Mm-hmm. First, it was research, obviously. So we, we tried to become as much as we could experts. Um, we had our two of our co-founders um, just researching just intensely, like how can we become secure? Uh, what do we need? What, what things are, what regulations do we have to follow? Obviously like HIPAA, um, things along those lines. And then also strong, strong sub advisors um, who had been in our shoes in the past. Um, so we were just sponges soaking up all the information, any resources they could point us to. Um, we happily utilized and that's how we really were able to get to the point where we were um, like secure um, and like seriously basically on the right track. Makes sense. Yeah. That's cool that you had like, yeah, like done the research and gotten some really strong advisors to kind of support you through this journey. In terms of like product dev, so you said you guys won Mass Challenge. It was October of last year and then you started developing the product. And I know you mentioned that you guys also raised money from an angel and also won the Brown Enterprise as well. Like when, when did that, when did those competitions come in? Yeah. So the angel funding came, I have to say around uh, February, probably mid to late February. Um, And that, that just, we needed some like $25,000 just to tie us over until we actually could raise our seed. Uh, and that's just so we could continue our software development. Um, so we raised that from a uh, board member at PayPal and SVP at IBM. Um, that was just $25,000. Um, 
yeah, really just to carry us over until we could raise funding. And what about like the the Brown Venture Prize? Like when when did you guys do that competition? Yeah, Brown Venture Prize actually came week after we raised seed round. So oh. we had signed we we had we had already closed at the time we won Brown Venture Prize. Um, it was like pretty uh, adjacent timing. So that was still necessary funding for us because all capital is important at that point in time. It was it was great for us to win. Um, but that came just a little bit after our seed. Got it. Got it. That that makes total sense. To get to your seed round, essentially, it was the combination of the mass challenge money as well as the angel money, from my understanding, to kind of boost you guys in terms of development speed to get to the point of seed. Right. Mm-hmm. So by the time we were raising our, our seed round, we already had a pretty well-developed MVP um, with some user testing, great feedback, um, and some some buzz around the product. And I guess in terms of, you know, I think some people are, are curious about this is like the timing of raising a seed. Like what are kind of the expectations of what seed investors want to see in, in terms of a product? Like it should be fully built, right? And it should have ideally paying customers as well. Um, well, for us at, at that point in time, we didn't have paying customers, but we had an MVP that had been user tested and we had a strong market need. Um, and I think that's what was most important. And, and honestly, uh, the, the market that you're entering into, it's gotta be a large market. The problem has to be huge and you have to have a solution that's actually fixing it. And so that's where we were at. Um, we hadn't yet executed our go-to-market strategy at that point in time, but our product was at a point where like once we raised funds, we could execute. That makes sense. So you mentioned things around like market need and, and being able to show investors, oh, okay, we have this product that we've been building and the market needs this. How, what do you mean by market need exactly? Like, how did you show that? Yeah. So by market need, I mean, there's a, there's a, a big problem that's addressable uh, by your product and people are willing to purchase this product um, or, or use your solution. Um, and not just one person, but there's gotta be customer profile. That's, that's kind of wide ranging. Um, so market need, like people really actually need your product. It's not just a nice to have, it's gotta be essential. Yeah. It can't be a nice to have, gotta be a need to have. And so I'm, I'm trying to think through this. So as you guys are building this product, I'm assuming you have some partners that are giving you very close feedback, right? During that time. Like was, were there like really close partnerships with kind of long-term care organizations to work with you guys when you guys were building this? Yeah. So as we were building it, we were um, doing very, very deep um, user testing and user research. So we were, we spent months um, within long-term care organizations uh, doing bottom-up research, getting product feedback, um, just building, 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 Um, because we wanted our, our product to be like as spot on as basically functional as possible before we executed actually going to market with it. As we were like beginning to begin that go to market, COVID hit obviously. Um, so then that delayed us like two or three months. And now we're at the point where we're, we're really attacking. Attacking and, and got the product out there, I'm assuming. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah, so I guess just to kind of summarize the, some of the things you, say, you said that are super interesting. So the money from Mass Challenge and the Angel kind of, you know, boosted your development rate, you got the product kind of built with very close user feedback, right? 
And then at that point, you started raising a seed or, or how, like when did you guys even start thinking about raising a seed? Um, well, we knew we needed to raise a seed as we were building the product, as we had gotten the mass challenge funding, because we knew we would need more. Um, like eventually, eventually we'd run out, obviously. So we started mm-hmm. um, making connections with investors around January, a little bit before that. Um, had a trip planned out to the West Coast for February. And we're meeting with investors both of those months. And then by March, we had uh, basically had all the details hashed out. So we ended up closing. And I'm always curious to know about this, but, you know, obviously you, you want to establish that relationship with the investor and have kind of a warm relationship before starting to ask money kind of more aggressively. Like how, how much time passed between you first met that investor who ended up leading your seed to actually closing it? I think the first introduction was early January and we closed end of, I'd say we closed mid-March. So it's like three, three and a half months. So I guess in terms of approaching those conversations with those people in San Francisco, as you mentioned, you know, you could say that you were building the product, you had some money from the grant and you had this market need. That was essentially kind of the, the pulling factor for them. Right. So we, we ended up actually raising from a, a VC in Boston. Um, but while we were in San Francisco, it was, it was a bit of a different, uh, I don't know, vibe, I guess, uh, where their immediate thing was like unicorn potential is a unicorn potential. Like, um, like how fast can you scale all these other things? Mm-hmm. Um, and when we were in, like on the East coast, it was like, people were more interested in our, in our product, um, how well we fit our market, like having an elegant solution, um, things of that nature, which was pretty interesting. It was just kind of a different mindset. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, we were giving the same pitch in, like, we didn't change up our pitch for who we were pitching to, um, stayed true to our story. Um, but yeah, we ended up leaving, leaving our, our, our San Francisco trip early because of rising concerns regarding COVID. Gotcha. And then you ended up going back to Boston and that's when you closed that round? Yes. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. That's a cool story. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So Robbie, this was awesome just to kind of hear your story about like MVP, like when you guys were developing the MVP and how, and now actually functional product um, and how that you know, corresponded with funding. It's always interesting to hear how those two interact with each other. Um, I'd love to just like, you know, shift gears and, and go towards the fire round, which is definitely the most fun part of the interview, in my eyes at least, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. for my guests. But I'm ready. Um, I'm ready for the hot seat. All right. Sounds <laughs> good. So I guess first question, Robbie, most memorable experience at Brown? I know you took a leave of absence, but if you can remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, most memorable experience of Brown is at Brown is definitely uh, spring weekend. So every spring we have a, a big, I'd say it's half kind of music festival, um, half just like campus community building activities. And we have like big mu- music artists come. Uh, like I remember I visited in high school and it was Erica Badu and Young Thug. And then we had Daniel Caesar, Mitski, just like so many different artists just wide ranging, no matter your music taste. And it's just probably the most fun I've had in my entire life. Wow. That's a, that's a huge statement, Robbie. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I, I peaked pretty early. <laughs> Love that. Um, second question, favorite class at Brown? Favorite class at Brown has to be um, probably healthcare in the US, which I guess sounds pretty on brand for me. Um, I, I just, it got me interested in, in healthcare really deeply. And now I'm realizing that I didn't understand a single thing from the class like I thought I did because healthcare is so much more complex in America than I could have ever imagined. Yeah, experience definitely um, overtakes classroom sometimes. Oh, most definitely. Third question, quarantine activity that keeps you sane? Basic answer, uh, Netflix, for sure. Because no matter how crazy the world is outside, Netflix is always there to just keep you, <laughs> keep you based, keep you calm. Right. I guess, um, just side note, what, what show are you watching or binging at the moment? At the moment, I'm, I'm honestly in between shows. Um, I just finished a show called Imposters, which was I mean, pretty interesting. Nothing special. Um, and I'll always go back and rewatch a classic like Arrested Development. Good one. Fourth question. One word or phrase that embodies your Intus care journey? One word or phrase. Um, I would say cliche, but everything happens for a reason. Um, because like there's things we did, competitions we, we lost or like deals that didn't go through or uh, like, I don't know, opportunities that were just, I don't know, just barely out of our grasp. And we realized um, retro, like now retroactively, like, oh, wow, like if this would have happened, we would not be where we're at today. Like this wouldn't have been, um, like we would have never made it. Like for instance, we were in a competition way, way, way back, right when we first had the idea. And I think if we would have won that competition, we would have um, not had the, the right direction to, to get to the point where we're at now. And I think we mm -hmm. would have failed otherwise. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely a good outlook to have. Everything happens for a reason. Exactly. Last question, where do you see Intus Care going and what are the next steps for Robbie Felton? Mm, that's, a, that's a very heavy, heavy question. Uh, where is <laughs> Intus Care going? Um, I see us scaling for the next couple of years and then we'll make decisions from there. I see us being um, servicing hundreds of thousands or no, millions of patients over the next couple of years, um, which will be really special because like we can quantitatively and qualitatively see the impact that we're having on, on each of them. Um, and for Robbie Felton uh, in the future, not quite sure what the future holds, but definitely want to stay in healthcare. Um, I want to do something where I can make a, a kind of impact at scale on the, the U.S. healthcare system, improve outcomes, improve care delivery, because I think there's a lot of room for improvement. And I think technology, um, startups, um, just like all these bright minds we have, um, it, it really kind of is like a uh, making healthcare ripe for, for some more uh, systemic change um, that'll benefit all of us. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's a very inspiring way to end the show, Robbie. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, and I really appreciate you having me on. This is so much fun. Love that conversation. Thanks so much, Robbie, for coming on the couch and to all of you for tuning into this episode. If you liked hearing from a health tech founder, you might enjoy episode number 24, where we talk with Ibrahim Alinor and Irawole Akande.
If you haven't already, subscribe to Founders Couch wherever you get your podcasts, leave a rating and review. If you want to see more from us or submit ideas for questions or guests, follow us on Instagram at Founders Couch. Catch us Friday after next, September 4th, for another Founders Couch Friday. I'm Catherine Jane, and you've been listening to The Founders Couch. See y'all soon.